welcome to the Resilience Podcast. I'm Kobe Greer. Today I welcome back Dr. Jenny Brockus, and we will be discussing her latest book, Thriving Mind. As a kid, Jenny's favourite tale was Kipling's story of how the elephant got his trunk. Like the elephant, Jenny was insatiably curious. This sense of curiosity led Jenny to a career in medicine first as a principal of a group of medical practice, and today as a board certified lifestyle medicine physician, an independent workplace based. This sense of curiosity led Jenny to a career in medicine, first as a principal of a group medical practice, and today as a board centered lifestyle medicine physician, an independent workplace based health consultant, specializing in brain health, mental well-being and psychological safety. Jenny believes getting the best out of people doesn't come from wringing them out like a wet towel. It's about understanding what really motivates them to work hard, what makes them curious to learn, what inspires contribution and to get along well with others, especially those we don't consider like ourselves. Her latest book, Thriving Mind, sets out to answer what makes for a good life so we can all be happier, healthier and feel more fulfilled. So welcome back, Jenny. Thanks so much. It's great to be chatting with you today. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So Jenny, your new book is called Thriving Mind, How to Cultivate a Good Life. What does a good life look like for you and why do you think this is important? Great question, thank you. I think the answer to that is that you have to answer it just for yourself. My interpretation of what a good life is, is about feeling happier more generally, feeling that I'm doing something of use and being of service to others. I've got a very strong desire to always be useful in some way. That's my principal driver. To enjoy and have the time to spend just being in nature. My good life is about being able to go outside, to venture into what the world has to offer and just to spend the time looking, observing and just having that sense of awe and wonder about the beauty around us, because that helps me to be reminded of what's good in the world, especially at a time when we're being bombarded with all this negative information, bad news again. Um, We need something that gives us a sense of hope and optimism for our future. And the understanding that to lead a good life is is a question of cultivating it so it is a bit like gardening your mind so that you get out of life what you really want rather than following somebody else's line of expectation so it's a lot about personal responsibility you think oh yes there is actually (laughs) yes definitely Mm. and i think beyond the responsibility it's about feeling empowered many people i speak with are feeling disempowered, they're feeling disengaged, they've lost sight of what lights them up, what feeds their soul, what makes them feel really good. And if you're in that state, yes, you know about 
accountability and your responsibility, but you're not really in the right place to take advantage of what's right in front of your nose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in your book, you talk about the modern modalities of the modern workplace mm. and share your own story of burnout. Mm. Can you please share with the audience what burnout looks like and how we can prevent it? How long have we got to talk? <laughs> <laughs> I know, and, and I think it's, it's a, a big, modern it's a big day. Answer. Yes, it is a Frouchy, it's a really. modern it's a modern problem. Yeah, and it's a growing <clears throat> problem. And I shared my story, which made me feel incredibly vulnerable, I have to say, because as a doctor admitting to being less than perfect and being you know, the professional person, mm. um, I was resistant. I was very hesitant about sharing. Wow. Um, however, the people around me said, Jenny, you will enable people to understand that it can affect anybody, which it can. It doesn't matter who you are, what your job description is, if you're in the wrong situation, um, you can end up in a position of burnout, which is never a good place. And burnout is sneaky because it comes up from behind. You don't see it coming, principally because many of us are in complete denial. We expect to be busy. It's normal, right? Suck it up, princess. Just get on with it. No, this is usual. Exactly. So you drive yourself and you drive yourself a bit harder because especially as being a small business owner, you think, well, I've got to step up because the whole business depends on me. I've got st staff to support. I've got my clientele to look after. I've got my family in the background somewhere. And somewhere in the mix, I was supposed to include myself in that, but I didn't. Mm. So burnout is an individual experience. Men and women can get it, but they experience it often a little bit differently, but I can talk about that later if you like. In my journey through burnout, because I was a high achiever, perfectionist, very strong work ethic, who wanted to be the best she could possibly be to be of the best service to others, I ignored all the warning signs that I was just basically pushing too hard. And the research shows that the person who is most at risk of burnout is often the most diligent, the most um, committed, the most motivated person, the person who never says no because they've always got the ability to take on yet more because they can to a degree. But somewhere along the line, we forget we're human. And the thing about burnout is normally if you reach a point of exhaustion, you stop. You say, enough, I'm tired, I need a break. But when you're going through burnout, you don't recognise that stop sign mm -hmm. and you keep pushing past it. Mm -hmm. So even though you're exhausted, you just get the fingernails out a bit longer and just keep crawling forward mm -hmm. until your body just says, you're not doing this anymore and it just makes you stop. And my full stop happened when I was uh, in a therapist's office seeking treatment for my chronic neck and shoulder pain, which I'd been putting up with for months and nothing seemed to get rid of it. I wonder why. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But burnout is, <laughs> is a mixture of extreme exhaustion. It's more than just feeling tired you're mentally, physically and cognitively exhausted. You can't think, you've got no energy to move. Uh, it is 
to the point where you can't even get out of bed. It's that difficult. And people look at you sideways and say, what do you mean you can't get out of bed? I just didn't have the energy to get out of bed. Uh, it's about extreme cynicism. You start to see everything in a negative light. And I'm usually a fairly optimistic person. I, I like to pride myself in that I look for the positive in others and myself, and I'd lost sight of that. Mm -hmm. Everything became like when I was living in England, a bit grey, you know, the low grey clouds descended and everything was a bit bleh, a bit bleh. Yeah. And then nothing yeah. I could do or see made me feel any different from that. And the worst aspect of it was that I stopped caring. And as a person who cares deeply about other people, the one moment I had the insight that something wasn't right was when I realised that had happened. I no longer cared about who I was, what I was doing, and the drive to work became just such a challenge every single day. I just couldn't wait to get home. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And the third aspect, no surprise, because if you've lost the drive to do anything and you've got no energy, is that your efficacy, your effectiveness in what you can normally do easily diminishes. So your performance plummets. Mm -hmm. And I think in the workplace, because the burnout is defined by the World Health, World Health Organization as that triage of uh, or sorry, the triad of exhaustion, negativity and cynicism and loss of efficacy as a result of chronic unmitigated stress in the workplace. They were very careful to say it's an occupational hazard. I don't actually fully agree with that. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> because I believe you can have chronic unmitigated stress in many other aspects of your Absolutely. life as well. Work is just one facet of it, but that's the way they chose to define it. Um, and, the, and the issue, I think, is that, A, we've lost sight of how much is enough, and because stress has become our usual way of operating, we no longer recognise the danger signs. Uh, and secondly, while, you know, if, if you are the person who is driving themselves to the point of, or the brink of exhaustion, that's one thing, but sometimes you end up in a workplace situation where others are driving you too hard and they fail to notice that it's too much. Um, you're always, and I hate this refrain, can you do more with less? Yeah. And, and for years we've been told you've got to do more with less, more with less, more with less. Well, you can only do less when there's something still to, to give. Yes. If you keep asking your staff to give more, to keep stepping up, to stay late, to come in early, in the end something gives and it morphs into burnout. And it's such a terrible waste of human potential because it takes such a long time to recover. Yeah. Uh, it takes a while to develop. What, what I get really upset about is when I hear stories from other people who've also experienced burnout or are living with burnout, because it affects different people differently, as I mentioned, uh, is when they tell me that they're pretty sure they're burning out, but it's not recognised by their boss or their manager and they're being told look it's just a stressful time just keep on pushing through it'll all be okay in the end or worse oh you're just a bit depressed I think you should go and see your doctor and get some antidepressants it's not the same thing you can have burnout and depression at the same time you can have burnout and anxiety 
at the same time, but they are not the same thing and they need to be managed separately. Mm. Mm. And I suppose that's that's modern society, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Sort of like, um, we're in a way programmed and socialised to just keep moving forward. You know, mm. I've got a headache. Don't stop and kind of... Uh, relax and rest. It's more about take a tablet and just keep on going. Yes. Well, we see that in the advertisements exactly. all the time. You know, the cold and flu tablets. That's exactly. Soldier on. That's right. <laughs> and this really has an impact on our subconscious mind. Absolutely it does. Yes. And I think one thing that hi- uh, living through the pandemic has highlighted is that by being forced to stop in some way and step back, it's in the, it's reminded us that it doesn't have to be this way. Yes, I think that's been a huge learning for many mm. people. Mm. So it's actually been a reflection on, you know what, I don't want to jump on a plane every week to have to go interstate to do some work here, there and everywhere. Um, do you know what, I don't want to work 60, 70 hours a week because it's expected or I think I have to, I actually enjoy and get more out of time spent with those that mean the most to me, with my partner, with my family, being able to have the energy to go and kick a footy around on the weekend and something like that, rather than collapsing into a heap and reaching out for the wine bottle again. (laughs) Yes. Thank goodness I managed to get through another day. Yeah. Because we've adapted adopted so many maladaptive behaviours mm. as a way of self-soothing and trying to get through, um, you know, the ridiculously long to-do list that exactly. we create for ourselves. So really being um, able to identify your warning signs mm. and your symptoms of stress yes. before it turns into something burnout. Yes. Yeah. And yes. something that's bigger and wellness. Yes. Exactly yeah. is really yeah. important. Yeah. So Thriving Mind was written pre-COVID and I really wanted to highlight some of the things that weren't going well in the modern workplace to address why are we feeling so lonely and disconnected in a time we've got all this connection available to us. Why are so many people experiencing high levels of anxiety and depression? Um, despite the fact we've got all these marvellous new technologies uh, and medical advances and understanding of what leads us to develop these conditions, why aren't we doing more to promote well-being? It it seems to me to be such an obvious thing to do, and yet we haven't done that. I I actually challenged um, Roger Cook about that at a breakfast meeting. (laughs) I was a bit naughty, but no, I wasn't naughty. I was, I was stating a fact. I, I asked him, I said, why is it we only allocate 2% of the health budget to prevention? And he looked at me and I could see he was thinking, I wish he hadn't asked that. Because <laughs> the eyebrows went up and then the eyebrows came down. And then he was desperately trying to think of something to say that would cover his tracks. And he did that because he's a you know politician. <laughs> to say about these marvellous things that they've been putting in place to help people to recover. And I'm thinking, you've missed the point completely. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need these things to help us to recover when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. But what if everybody had the toolkit... They knew they had the skills within themselves or knew where to get extra support to maintain well-being. What difference would that make to us individually? What difference would that make to our workplaces? What difference would that make to our society? Massive. Absolutely massive. A little bit more kindness and compassion to each other for starters. Yeah, Mm. yeah. 
And you used that word self-soothing earlier, mm. you know, just being able to step back and, mm. yeah, connecting back to your body, connecting yeah. back to your sense of self. Yes. And soothing that part. Mm. 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 Beautiful. So, Jenny, the global pandemic has been accompanied by a great deal of uncertainty and anxiety for our future. Yes. With talk about the next epidemic being a mental health crisis, what do you see as being essential to assist every employee stay healthy and well? This harks back to the responsibility piece. I think we are slowly getting better at talking about mental health. And I think it's now well recognised that there's a lot of it about. And yet, trying to get people to talk about their feelings honestly and openly, it remains a massive challenge. We don't, because the stigma is still there. It's, in, it's the elephant in the room. Until we address that, it's going to be very difficult. We know that the pandemic has amplified the amount of psychological distress that people are experiencing is doubled in 12 months. Gosh. Um, the Wellbeing Lab um, run by Michelle McQuaid found that in 2019, the percentage of people who felt mentally well um, and enjoyed high level of mental well-being was about 14.7%. That's not actually very high. I was going to say that. It doesn't, low. yeah. But 12 months later, it had dropped to 7.4%. So that just is a reflection of the fact that many people are struggling with this ongoing uncertainty and high level of stress because it's occurring at a subconscious level. We may not always be aware of it, but when we're going about our daily lives, whether we're at work or whether we're out doing other things, our subconscious is still trying to get a handle on what the heck is going on? How come the world has turned upside down? And it's exhausting. So many people I talk to at the moment, 12 months in, are saying, you know, the worst thing about this is I'm just so darn tired all the time. And it's not necessarily burnout. It's just the fatigue of constantly having to deal with this ongoing stress. And this is where I think if we're going to be really serious about addressing the mental health crisis, which is already here, it was here before COVID and the mental health system on its knees, while it's nice that the government is putting more money in, that's not going to fix the problem. The problem is to help people to understand what leads them to go from feeling really stressed and worried about their future to tip into chronic anxiety or depression or any other mood disorder. And I think this is where we need to change the conversation. Yes, we need to get good at identifying when somebody does have a mental health challenge, and that's, that's in place, you know, we've got mental health first aid courses and all these things, really, really important. And we know that one in four of us will have a mental health disorder at some point in our lives. And in any given year, one in five of us will have some form of mental health challenge. Mm. But that means the remainder of us who don't can be better protected by knowing how to maintain our mental well-being. And this is where I see we need to make the strongest difference. It's about enhancing mental well-being because if you go into any workplace and say, okay, Kobe, tell me, which person in this room can you tell is suffering from anxiety or depression or has panic attacks? You couldn't. You couldn't, could you? No. They would look like human beings working. 
Yes, and that's because many of us, even if we have a mental health challenge, if we have sufficient mental well-being, which are the tools and strategies that we've learned for ourselves or we know how to access, actually maintain our ability to function normally, mm. which is why we don't know. And, and often we often hide it quite well as well. Yes, <laughs> because yes. there's the public that, face. The public face. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think what I would like to see is for every employer, every workplace to hold regular open and, and send out the invitation that everybody is invited to come along and share how things are going for them at that point in time. What do you need help with? Is there anything I can do to support you? Mm. It's about getting better at, because the one thing that I think that holds so many of us back is people don't know what to say. If they notice somebody's not quite themselves, a little bit quiet, or even a bit teary, um, we hold back because we don't know what to say. Yeah. We don't want to make it feel, them feel worse, but we don't want to say the wrong thing, and so we don't mm. say anything, and we just pretend it's not there. Yeah. If we get used to having regular open conversations where you're allowed to speak honestly about how you are, and of course, if you're the leader, that adds extra kudos because if the leader reveals their own vulnerability, oh my goodness, they're human too. They, they don't know all the answers to everything. That actually binds us together. It makes us feel stronger as a, a network and we seek to support each other as soon as somebody says you know what i'm really finding it difficult this week because i've got this happening this happening this happening and i, I don't know quite how i'm going to pull it all together to get this tender out on time people will say oh well what can i do to help exactly people love to help but if you don't know you're not going to step up and ask exactly and why wait till somebody's at breaking point before we, we do that, if you can nip it in the bud and say, hey, you know what, let's all support each other more strongly, then you're creating a much more, what basically is a psychological safe workplace where everybody knows they're included, they're part of the team, they're valued, uh, all their contributions are being recognised, and it makes you feel safe. And as soon as you feel safe in yourself, you're more willing to step up and contribute and say something because you know you're not going to be publicly, you know, beheaded yes. or cut down or something. Yes. Say, oh no, what do you think's that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's the that's what I love about your book as well is that um, by sharing your story and you know being a doctor, mm. you know the status behind mm. that role, um, you're you're sharing the story is a role model. It's sort yeah. of like normalising yeah. uh, mental health um, it issues. It needs to be. It, it exactly, needs to be. exactly. Mm. And so, and it is about that sharing one's vulnerability. As challenging as that is, it's through this way in which we connect with another person. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the connection piece which is critical to Absolutely. all this. Absolutely, yes. yes. Exactly. The strength of the relationships we have with other people, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or with, with friends, mm. that is the critical piece. Because when you're really struggling with something, what do most of us do? We go and talk to a trusted friend or person. Mm. Mm. Um, and we don't expect them to fix it. We just want uh, a listening ear. We just want to be heard. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
So Jenny, we have so much technology now available to us to make our lives easier. And artificial intelligence is taking an increasing role too. Is tech a help or a hindrance to our health and well-being, Jenny? What are your thoughts? I think it's a boon and a blessing and a curse. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. I think uh, one thing I was immensely grateful for during lockdown was the fact we had technology available to us so that we could stay connected with those that we wanted to be able to see, even on a screen. And I'm not talking just about our work colleagues. We needed to see our family. We needed to see our friends who were either interstate or overseas. Overseas, We needed to feel that we were in part of a, uh, still in a world where there were other human beings around us, even if we can't, couldn't leave our homes. So for, I think from that perspective, it's been absolutely critical. And I think it's also had a, a spin-off effect in that it's reconnected us with many people that we hadn't spoken to for ages. So many people have told me, well, I hadn't spoken to Auntie Mabel for, I don't know, years. <laughs> and now we, we, we FaceTime each other every month and things like that. So in that way, I think it's been absolutely fantastic. But I do have a love-hate relationship with tech because sometimes, because it means that we can be available and because we've sort of now created this uh, especially in the workplace, this sort of need to be available 24-7. So, you know, your mobile phone's always on, you can receive an email at 10 o'clock at night. And while you sort of intuitively say to yourself, I don't think I'm expected to answer this right now. You do quite often because you want to be seen as a good employee. And of course, that's where we're losing control over how we use our technology. So it's where it's becoming more of an addiction. I can't go out anywhere without my mobile phone. What if I get lost? Because we've lost <laughs> the ability to use the landmarks we see around us to navigate our way safely from home to the shops and back. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we don't do any mental math anymore because we're always using our calculator. Mm. We, we use our, our mobile phone as our, as our no, hip pocket um, computer, which is great in so many ways, except... It becomes a be-all and end-all. And so many people I, I speak to, and I speak about myself too here, I need to digitally detox regularly because otherwise it becomes all-consuming. And my husband's quite good at this because he says, Jenny, you're on your phone again. I'm like, oh gosh, he's caught me at it. <laughs> I think the worst thing I ever did was allow my emails to be viewed on my mobile phone because that means that if I've got a spare five minutes between seeing clients or anything like that. What do I do? I go and check my emails. I mean, really, it's ridiculous. Why? Because I'd be so much better off going outside, having a cup of coffee, just, you know, yes. doing something else. Yes, yes. So I think the, the addictive quality of our technology can be harmful. Mm. And I have a love-hate relationship with AI as well. Uh, we have a pool in our backyard and it drives me crazy when the alarm goes off because the chlorine is too low or the pH isn't right and you get this screaming eek, and it drives me nuts. And my husband knows it drives me nuts. So being an engineer, he decided that he would get uh, an AI thing, um, Alexa. In, and, I, and I'd always stated categorically, I am not allowing ex Alexa into the house. Well, Alexa is in our house. She's very annoying, but... <laughs> She obeys my command. So when I say, Alexa, pool mute 
on, she obliges. And I don't have to go foraging in the garden trying to find the switch <laughs> to turn the alarm off. I can do it from the kitchen. And that, for me, that's actually good for my stress levels. Yes, Which yes. is really helpful. Um, but I think, you know, a year or two back, we were frightened of artificial intelligence and technology taking over our world and replacing us because we would be made redundant. And I think, again, COVID has revealed how important having work is for us. Not necessary to be identified as, this is the job I do, this is what I am, but basically good work is so good for us yes. mentally. Yes. It helps us to feel part and parcel of our community. We're doing something useful. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely critical. And I think maybe this is going to reset the dial a little bit. So rather than say, oh, yes, we can automate all these things and get rid of people, we can go back to acknowledging that, you know what? Human connection is critical. So I will always use the supermarket checkout with a real person whenever <laughs> possible. And the same in a bank. I, you know, if you can find a bank, that is. <laughs> that's true. Go to a bank and speak to a human being. Yes. Because that's what gives me uh, a sense of connection. It's also really important for trust. And I think in a, in a world that lacks a lot of trust, in many of our institutions it's this is why again we need that ability to develop uh, the skill sets needed to have trusting relationships with other people yes i couldn't agree more yes so jenny your final question for today um is um, you write and speak extensively on the importance of psychological safety at work. Mm. So for the person listening to us today who doesn't feel psychologically safe at work, what can they do to change their situation? Because there's a lot of toxicity mm. in the workplace, mm. isn't there? Mm. And yeah, safety is paramount. Safety is absolutely paramount. And I think um, while there's a lot of emphasis now, in a good way, on employee health and well-being to enable people to fully thrive, which is great, we forget that that's never going to actually be achieved or fully developed unless we have psychological safety in place first. Um, so if you are in a place where you don't have a great deal of psychological safety, it's it's a very tricky situation because we don't all have the luxury of saying, well, I'm out of here, I'm gonna find another job because it's not always as easy as that as we know. So if you are in the place where you've got to, you've got to make the best of it and think, well, what can I do to protect myself? It's about making sure that outside work, you've got the safety mechanisms in place, which is i.e. having strong friendships and people that you can debrief with it's about developing that understanding of when stress is affecting you at work. So if there are certain people that just push your red buttons and you think, <gasps> because you know that they're gonna say something snide or rude or unpleasant, um, you need that invisible Teflon shield, which just goes bloop and protects you, like the Harry, Harry Potter invisibility cloak. Um, and that means learning to recognize when certain people or certain events are triggering a response in your body. 
And so it's about developing that self-awareness. Oh, my heart's racing. I can feel my heart pounding in my chest. I'm feeling a bit hot and sweaty. What's going on? Oh, it's because so-and-so is in this room and they always make some comment about me in a in derogatory fashion in every meeting. So what can I do to deflect that? Because if we can re reframe it and say, well, you don't know what's going on in their head and you don't know if they're afraid of you actually or that they're just power hungry and they want something for themselves so i think we sometimes just need to reframe how people are radiating their emotions onto us and say this isn't about me this is not about me this is about them and that helps to diffuse it and the other thing we can do which is a very powerful mechanism is to label how we feel so if you're feeling angry hurt, sad, frustrated, simply saying it out loud, you can say it out quite loudly if you wish as well, <laughs> or just mutter it quietly to yourself under your breath, has been shown to dial down the emotional intensity in your brain. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you can do that, it means that the, our conscious brain, the prefrontal cortex, is better placed to regulate um, access to our logic, our reasoning and our analysis of what's really going on here and prevents that trigger effect of, well, they said something really nasty. So we respond back and we escalate that emotional yeah. um, conversation exactly. response, which happens a lot. So much. And that, that just that, I find that that's key, isn't it, with the, um, that, that ability to emotionally regulate, to mm. self-regulate mm. and... I feel that a lot of people, when it comes to whether it be self-care, self-soothing techniques, mm. the majority of people feel that I see it happens outside of work. Yes. But they can be incorporated inside yes. of work. So Absolutely. when one is triggered, Absolutely. go to the mm -hmm. local coffee shop, get mm -hmm. your head out of the office, yes. connect Entirely. with the, yeah, listen exactly. to the birds. Yeah, so exactly. really employing some of these mm. techniques, mm. even within yep. the workplace because we we are understanding more that our emotions impact our thinking yes. um, and our, our behaviors and responses so if we get better at regulating generally and as you say what you do outside of work will then bolster your resilience and ability to deal with whatever happens in that eight hours or so yeah mm. absolutely that's um, and it is, it, and as you've, as you've been saying throughout today's um, interview, is the knowing your signs, increasing self awareness, mm -hmm. um, just starting to really build that relationship with self. Absolutely, because once you become more attuned to your own body and mind it helps you to develop the insights as to what actually works for you. And it's not just one thing, it's gonna be a whole range of different things and it's gonna be different for each and every one of us because we're all unique. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, Jenny. It's been such a pleasure having you here today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. And it's a great book.